0: Section 13 of Letters of Mrs. Adams, Volume 1 by Charles Francis Adams. The LibriVox recording is in the public domain, recording by Sue Anderson. Section 13, The Letters, 1777-1778. Boston, 25 October 1777, to John Adams the joyful news of the surrender of General Burgoyne and all his army to our victorious troops prompted me to take a ride this afternoon with my daughter to town, to join tomorrow with my friends in thanksgiving and praise to the Supreme Being, who hath so remarkably delivered our enemies into our hands. And hearing that an express is to go off tomorrow morning, I have retired to write you a few lines— I have received no letters from you since you left Philadelphia, note for Yorktown, by the post, and but one by any private hand. Burgoyne is expected in by the middle of the week. I have read many articles of capitulation, but none which ever before contained so generous terms. Many people find fault with them, but perhaps do not consider sufficiently the circumstances of General Gates who, by delaying and exacting more, might have lost all. This must be said of him that he has followed the golden rule, and done as he would wish himself in like circumstances to be dealt with. Must not the vaporing Burgoyne, who, it is said, possesses great sensibility, be humbled to the dust? He may now write The Blockade of Saratoga, I HAVE HEARD IT proposed THAT HE SHOULD TAKE UP HIS QUARTERS IN THE OLD SOUTH, BUT BELIEVE HE WILL NOT BE PERMITTED TO COME TO THIS TOWN. HEAVEN GRANT US SUCCESS AT THE SOUTHWARD. THAT SAYING OF POOR RICHARD OFTEN OCCURS TO MY MIND. GOD HELPS THEM WHO HELP THEMSELVES. BUT IF MEN TURN THEIR BACKS AND RUN FROM AN ENEMY, THEY CANNOT SURELY EXPECT TO CONQUER HIM. THIS DAY, DEAREST OF FRIENDS, completes thirteen years since we were solemnly united in wedlock. Three years of this time we have been cruelly separated. I have, patiently as I could, endured it, with the belief that you were serving your country and rendering your fellow creatures essential benefits. May future generations rise up and call you blessed, and the present behave worthy of the blessings you are laboring to secure to them. And... I shall have less reason to regret the deprivation of my own particular felicity. Adieu, dearest of friends, adieu. 8. March, 1778. Note, Mr. Adams, with his eldest son, sailed for France in the frigate Boston in February of this year. To John Adams, "'Tis a little more than three weeks since the dearest of friends and tenderest of husbands,' left his solitary partner, and quitted all the fond endearments of domestic felicity for the dangers of the sea, exposed, perhaps, to the attack of a hostile foe, and, oh, good heaven, can I add, to the dark assassin, to the secret murderer, and the bloody emissary of as cruel a tyrant as God in his righteous judgments ever suffered to disgrace the throne of Britain." I have traveled with you over the wide Atlantic, and could have landed you safe, with humble confidence, at your desired haven, and then have set myself down to enjoy a negative kind of happiness, in the painful part which it has pleased heaven to allot me. But the intelligence, note, an unfounded rumor of the assassination of Dr. Franklin in Paris, with regard to that great philosopher, able statesman, an unshaken friend of his country, has planted a dagger in my breast, and I feel with a double edge the weapon that pierced the bosom of a Franklin. For naught avail the virtues of the heart, nor towering genius claims its due reward. From Britain's fury as from death's keen dart, no worth can save us, and no fame can guard." THE MORE DISTINGUISHED THE PERSON, THE GREATER THE INVETERACY OF THESE FOES OF HUMAN NATURE. THE ARGUMENT OF MY FRIENDS TO ALLEVIATE MY ANXIETY BY PERSUADING ME THAT THIS SHOCKING ATTEMPT WILL PUT YOU MORE ON YOUR GUARD AND RENDER YOUR PERSON MORE SECURE THAN IF IT HAD NEVER TAKEN PLACE, IS KIND IN THEM AND HAS SOME WEIGHT, BUT MY GREATEST COMFORT AND CONSOLATION, arise from the belief of a superintending providence to whom I can, with confidence, commit you since not a sparrow falls to the ground without his notice. Were it not for this, I should be miserable and overwhelmed by my fears and apprehensions. Freedom of sentiment, the life and soul of friendship, is in a great measure cut off by the danger of miscarriage and the apprehension of letters falling into the hands of our enemies should this meet with that fate may they blush for their connection with a nation who have rendered themselves infamous and abhorred by a longest of crimes which not their high achievements nor the lustre of former deeds nor the tender appellation of parent nor the fond connection which once subsisted can ever blot from our remembrance, nor wipe out those indelible stains of their cruelty and baseness. They have engraven them with a pen of iron on a rock for ever. To my dear son, remember me in the most affectionate terms. I would have written to him, but my notice is so short that I have not time. Enjoin it upon him never to disgrace his mother, and to behave worthily of his father. Tender as maternal affection is, it was swallowed up in what I found a stronger, or so intermixed, that I felt it not in its full force till after he had left me. I console myself with the hopes of his reaping advantages under the careful eye of a tender parent, which it was not in my power to bestow upon him." There has nothing material taken place in the political world since you left us. This letter will go by a vessel for Bilbao, from whence you may, perhaps, get better opportunities of conveyance than from any other place. The letter you delivered to the pilot came safe to hand. All the little folks are anxious for the safety of their papa and brother, to whom they desire to be remembered, to which is added the tenderest sentiments of affection." AND THE FERVENT PRAYERS FOR YOUR HAPPINESS AND SAFETY OF YOUR PORTIA. 18 MAY 1778 TO JOHN ADAMS I have waited with great patience, restraining as much as possible every anxious idea for three months, but now every vessel which arrives sets my expectation upon the wing and I pray, my guardian genius, to waft me the happy tidings of your safety and welfare. Hitherto my wandering ideas have roved, like the son of Ulysses, from sea to sea and from shore to shore, not knowing where to find you. Sometimes I fancied you upon the mighty waters, sometimes at your desired haven, sometimes upon the ungrateful and hostile shore of Britain." BUT AT ALL TIMES, AND IN ALL PLACES, UNDER THE PROTECTING CARE AND GUARDIANSHIP OF THAT BEING, WHO NOT ONLY CLOTHES THE LILIES OF THE FIELD, AND HEARS THE YOUNG RAVENS WHEN THEY CRY, BUT HATH SAID, OF HOW MUCH MORE WORTH ARE YE THAN MANY SPARROWS? AND THIS CONFIDENCE, WHICH THE WORLD CANNOT DEPRIVE ME OF, IS MY FOOD BY DAY, AND MY REST BY NIGHT, and was all my consolation under the horrid ideas of assassination, the only event of which I had not thought and in some measure prepared my mind. When my imagination sets you down upon the Gallic shore, a land to which Americans are now bound to transfer their affections and to eradicate all those national prejudices which the proud and haughty nation whom we once revered craftily instilled into us, whom they once styled their children. I anticipate the pleasure you must feel, and, though so many leagues distant, share in the joy of finding the great interest of our country, so generously espoused and nobly aided by so powerful a monarch. Your prospects must be much brightened, for, when you left your native land, they were rather gloomy." If an unwearied zeal and persevering attachment to the cause of truth and justice, regardless of the allurements of ambition on the one hand, or the threats of calamity on the other, can entitle any one to the reward of peace, liberty, and safety, a large portion of those blessings are reserved for my friend in his native land. Oh, wouldst thou keep thy country's loud applause, LOVED AS HER FATHER, AS HER GOD ADORED, BE STILL THE BOLD ASSERTER OF HER CAUSE, HER VOICE IN COUNSEL, IN THE FIGHT HER SWORD, IN PEACE, IN WAR, PURSUE THY COUNTRY'S GOOD, FOR HER, BEAR THY BOLD BREAST, AND POUR THY GENEROUS BLOOD. DIFFICULT AS THE DAY IS, CRUEL AS THIS WAR HAS BEEN, SEPARATED AS I AM, ON ACCOUNT OF IT, FROM THE DEAREST CONNECTION IN LIFE, I would not exchange my country for the wealth of the Indies, or be any other than an American, though I might be queen or empress of any nation upon the globe. My soul is unambitious of pomp or power. Beneath my humble roof, blessed with the society and tenderest affection of my dear partner, I have enjoyed as much felicity and as exquisite happiness as falls to the share of mortals and though i have been called to sacrifice to my country i can glory in my sacrifice and derive pleasure from my intimate connection with one who is esteemed worthy of the important trust devolved upon him britain as usual has added insult to injustice and cruelty by what she calls a conciliatory plan from my soul I despise her meanness, but she has long ago lost that treasure which a great authority tells us exalteth a nation and is receiving the reproaches due to her crimes. I have been much gratified with the perusal of the Duke of richmond's speech. Were there ten such men to be found, I should still have some hopes that a revolution would take place in favor of the virtuous few and the laws, the rights, the generous plan of power delivered down from age to age by our renowned forefathers be again restored to that unhappy island. Our public finances are on no better footing than they were when you left us. Five hundred dollars is now offered by this town per man for nine months to recruit the army. Twelve pounds a month for farming labor is the price, and it is not to be procured under. Our friends are all well, and desire to be remembered to you. So many tender sentiments rush upon my mind when about to close this letter to you, that I can only ask you to measure them by those which you find in your own bosom, for your affectionate Portia. June 1778. To John Quincy Adams. My dear son, "'Tis almost four months since you left your native land "'and embarked upon the mighty waters "'in quest of a foreign country. "'Although I have not particularly written to you since, "'yet you may be assured you have constantly "'been upon my heart and mind. "'It is a very difficult task, my dear son, "'for a tender parent to bring her mind "'to part with a child of your years "'going to a distant land.' nor could I have acquiesced in such a separation under any other care than that of the most excellent parent and guardian who accompanied you. You have arrived at years capable of improving under the advantages you will be likely to have, if you do but properly attend to them. They are talents put into your hands, of which an account will be required of you hereafter, and, being possessed of one, two, or four, see to it that you double your numbers. The most amiable and most useful disposition in a young mind is diffidence of itself, and this should lead you to seek advice and instruction from him who is your natural guardian, and will always counsel and direct you in the best manner, both for your present and future happiness. You are in possession of a natural good understanding, and of spirits unbroken by adversity and untamed with care, improve your understanding by acquiring useful knowledge and virtue, such as will render you an ornament to society, an honor to your country, and a blessing to your parents. Great learning and superior abilities, should you ever possess them, will be of little value and small estimation, unless virtue, honor, truth and integrity are added to them adhere to those religious sentiments and principles which were early instilled into your mind and remember that you are accountable to your maker for all your words and actions let me enjoin it upon you to attend constantly and steadfastly to the precepts and instructions of your father as you value the happiness of your mother and your own welfare his care and attention to you render many things unnecessary for me to write, which I might otherwise do, but the inadvertency and heedlessness of youth require line upon line and precept upon precept, and, when enforced by the joint efforts of both parents, will, I hope, have a due influence upon your conduct. For, dear as you are to me, i would much rather you should have found your grave in the ocean you have crossed or that any untimely death crop you in your infant years than see you an immoral profligate or graceless child you have entered early in life upon the great theater of the world which is full of temptations and vice of every kind you are not wholly unacquainted with history in which you have read of crimes which your inexperienced mind could scarcely believe credible. You have been taught to think of them with horror, and to view vice as a monster of so frightful mien that to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet you must keep a strict guard upon yourself, or the odious monster will soon lose its terror by becoming familiar to you. The modern history of our own times furnishes as black a list of crimes as can be paralleled in ancient times, even if we go back to Nero, Caligula, or Caesar Borgia. Young as you are, the cruel war into which we have been compelled by the haughty tyrant of Britain and the bloody emissaries of his vengeance may stamp upon your mind this certain truth, that the welfare and prosperity of all countries, communities, and i may add individuals depend upon their morals that nation to which we were once united as it has departed from justice eluded and subverted the wise laws which formerly governed it and suffered the worst of crimes to go unpunished has lost its valor wisdom and humanity and from being the dread and terror of europe has sunk into derision and infamy. But, to quit political subjects, I have been greatly anxious for your safety, having never heard of the frigate since she sailed, till about a week ago a New York paper informed that she was taken and carried into Plymouth. I did not fully credit this report, though it gave me much uneasiness. I yesterday heard that a French vessel was arrived at Portsmouth, which brought news of the safe arrival of the Boston but this wants confirmation. I hope it will not be long before I shall be assured of your safety. You must write me an account of your voyage, of your situation, and of everything entertaining you can recollect. Be assured I am most affectionately yours. 30 June 1778. To John Adams. Dearest of friends, shall i tell my dearest that tears of joy filled my eyes this morning at the sight of his well-known hand the first line which has blessed my sight since his four months absence during which time i have never been able to learn a word from him or my dear son till about ten days ago an english paper taken in a prize and brought into salem contained an account under the paris news of your arrival at the abode of dr franklin and last week a cartel from halifax brought captain welch of the boston who informed that he left you well the eleventh of march and that he had letters for me but destroyed them when he was taken and this is all the information i have ever been able to obtain our enemies have told us the vessel was taken and named the frigate which took her and that she was carried into Plymouth. I have lived a life of fear and anxiety ever since you left me. Not more than a week after your absence, the horrid story of Dr. Franklin's assassination was received from France and sent by Mr. Perveance of Baltimore to Congress and to Boston. Near two months before that was contradicted, then we could not hear a word from the Boston— and most people gave her up as taken or lost thus has my mind been agitated like a troubled sea you can easily conceive how grateful your favour of april twenty-fifth and those of our son were to me and mine though i regret your short warning and the little time you had to write by which means i know not how you fared upon your voyage what reception you have met with not even from the ladies though you profess yourself an admirer of them, and a thousand circumstances which I wish to know, and which are always particularly interesting to near connections. I must request you always be minute, and to write me by every conveyance. Some, perhaps, which may appear unlikely to reach me, will be the first to arrive. I own I was mortified at so short a letter BUT I QUIET MY HEART WITH THINKING THERE ARE MANY MORE UPON THEIR PASSAGE TO ME. I HAVE WRITTEN SEVERAL BEFORE THIS, AND SOME OF THEM VERY LONG. NOW I KNOW YOU ARE SAFE, I WISH MYSELF WITH YOU. WHENEVER YOU ENTERTAIN SUCH A WISH, RECOLLECT THAT I WOULD HAVE WILLINGLY HAZARDED ALL DANGERS TO HAVE BEEN YOUR COMPANION. BUT, AS THAT WAS NOT PERMITTED, YOU MUST CONSOLE ME IN YOUR ABSENCE BY A RECITAL OF ALL YOUR ADVENTURES though methinks I would not have them in all respects too similar to those related of your venerable colleague, whose mentor-like appearance, age, and philosophy most certainly lead the political-scientific ladies of France to suppose they are embracing the god of wisdom in a human form. But I, who own that I never yet wished an angel whom I loved, a man, shall be full as content if those divine honors are omitted the whole heart of my friend is in the bosom of his partner more than half a score of years have so riveted it there that the fabric which contains it must crumble into dust ere the particles can be separated i can hear of the brilliant accomplishments of any of my sex with pleasure and rejoice in that liberality of sentiment which acknowledges them at the same time, I regret the trifling narrow contracted education of the females of my own country. I have entertained a superior opinion of the accomplishments of the french ladies ever since I read the letters of Dr. Chabar, who professes that he had rather take the opinion of an accomplished lady in matters of polite writing than the first wits of Italy, and should think himself safer with her approbation than with that of a long list of literati, and he gives this reason for it, that women have, in general, more delicate sensations than men. What touches them is, for the most part, true in nature, whereas men, warped by education, judge amiss from previous prejudice, and, referring all things to the mode of the ancients, CONDEMN THAT BY COMPARISON WHERE NO TRUE SIMILITUDE OUGHT TO BE EXPECTED. BUT IN THIS COUNTRY YOU NEED NOT BE TOLD HOW MUCH FEMALE EDUCATION IS NEGLECTED, NOR HOW FASHIONABLE IT HAS BEEN TO RIDICULE FEMALE LEARNING, THOUGH I ACKNOWLEDGE IT MY HAPPINESS TO BE CONNECTED WITH A PERSON OF MORE GENEROUS MIND AND LIBERAL SENTIMENTS. I CANNOT FORBEAR TRANSCRIBING A FEW GENEROUS SENTIMENTS, which I lately met with upon this subject. If women, says the writer, are to be, esteemed our enemies, methinks it is an ignoble cowardice thus to disarm them and not allow them the same weapons we use ourselves. But if they deserve the title of our friends, tis an inhuman tyranny to debar them of the privileges of ingenuous education, which would render their friendship so much the more delightful to themselves and us. Nature is seldom observed to be niggardly of her choicest gifts to the sex. Their senses are generally as quick as ours, their reason as nervous, their judgment as mature and solid. To these natural perfections add but the advantages of acquired learning. What polite and charming creatures would they prove? Whilst their external beauty does the office of a crystal to the lamp, not shrouding, but disclosing their brighter intellects nor need we fear to lose our empire over them by thus improving their native abilities since where there is most learning sense and knowledge there is always observed to be the most modesty and rectitude of manners End quote. note this letter probably failed to reach its destination the rough copy only remains which ends in an abrupt manner With the quotation as above. End of section thirteen.